Thanks for listening to the Faith Church Podcast. We are one church at five locations, streaming online every Sunday morning at live.faithishere.org. We hope that you're challenged and encouraged by today's message. And if you'd like to watch or listen to previous messages, or if you'd like to learn more about who we are as a church and how you can stay connected, head over to faithishere.org. We have been learning from the churches that uh, John writes to in Asia Minor. In each one of these churches is the voice of Jesus Christ speaking. So he is speaking to the churches, messages for them, and I believe there's plenty of application for every one of us here today. We're learning what every church ends with this, to he who overcomes. And so that's the theme, rise above. We're talking about how we can be overcomers, how we can rise above this culture and make a difference that God calls us to make. And so the first, the church we're looking at today is the church at Sardis. It's the fifth church we have studied and we'll be looking at that this morning. Now, uh, I'm not gonna ask by way of show of hands lest you maybe be a little embarrassed by this. It's not a big deal. But uh, uh, there are, there's, a, there's a popular show now, Walking Dead, or the fear of the walking dead. So we're not gonna ask how many watch that every week, but uh, you may not be proud of that. I don't know, I've, I've never seen it. I'm, I'm afraid if I watch it, I have nightmares. I understand it's all about zombies, flesh-eating zombies who come to get you and, and eat you. And so, uh, but the zombies kind of give themselves away. And uh, I've talked to some zombie experts and they give themselves away because they always kind of walk like kind of stiff. It's like they've been in the grave so long that they got, a, they got a stiff leg or a stiff arm that sticks out there. And you can always tell who the zombies are or who the walking dead are. Uh, but if you're gonna be, to me, if you're gonna be a real zombie, you need to try to blend in as much as possible. Because if you blend in, if you can walk normal and get your gait right and do those kind of things, you get a lot closer to your victim and then take them, bam, when they're not looking. And so the idea is look as less zombie-like and more human-like as possible. Uh, just a theory, I don't know. But we got a church here that he's gonna write to and, and he's gonna say, you have a reputation that you are alive but really, you are dead. You're walking, you're moving, you're going through the motions, you're doing the same thing as you've always done before. You have the appearance of having life, but really, you are spiritually dead. And so this is what you have right here at Sardis. So let's take a look at it together. Stand with me. Uh, Revelation chapter three, and we'll read these first six verses as we look at this church together. To the angel of the church in Sardis write, these are the words of him who holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your deeds, you have a reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up, strengthen what remains and is about to die, for I have not found your deeds complete in the sight of my God. Remember therefore what you have received and heard, obey it and repent. But if you do not wake up, I will come like a thief. And you will not know at what time I will come to you. Yet you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes. They will walk with me dressed in white, for they are worthy. He who overcomes will be like them, will be dressed in white. I will never blot his name out of the book of life, but will acknowledge his name before my Father and his angels. And he who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches." Father, I pray that we would hear this morning what your Holy Spirit wants to teach us today. I need your help this morning. Anoint me, God, as I preach your word, as I open up the word of life to us today. 
I, I pray, God, you'll do your work in, in, in transforming lives and changing people and waking us up and making us alive in you. I thank you for your mercy and grace and your love is always reaching out. So minister, I pray through your word, your word is truth, and we give you the praise and honor and glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Turn to someone, tell them they look awesome and look alive this morning, and then you may be seated. Sardis is a church in that group of seven churches in Asia Minor. This was a circular letter. It would start in the church of Ephesus and work its way all the way around uh, this Aegean Sea. And so there you have the city of Sardis located as well, 50 miles away from Ephesus, probably as a result of that Ephesian revival that occurred in Acts chapter 19. There was a great revival at Ephesus, and word kind of spreads to the surrounding areas, and the Bible said all Asia heard what was going on in the city of Ephesus. So, so there's a church now meeting in Sardis. It's at the junction of five main roads, and so it's a very commercially rich area. Uh, they have a lot of commerce, a lot of, a lot of trade going on. It's a very, very wealthy city. Uh, also, they worship the god Artemis. And so as we study these Greek cities, many of them had gods that were kind of their go-to god. And the god of Artemis is the one they worship. Now, Artemis, listen to me, was a god of death and rebirth. He was a, a nature god, and he talks a lot about death and rebirth. It's interesting that it's to this church that, that John writes, you have a reputation of being alive, but you're really dead. You're not dead and reborn. You're actually alive and have lost that somewhere else along the way. And so he writes them that particular letter. What a sad commentary from the lips of our Lord to say you think you're alive, you think you're doing great, but really on the inside, you're dead. Sardis had plenty of works. They had plenty of activity. They did all the stuff. They were very religious. They were going through the motions. They were uh, assembling together. They were religious, but there was no life of Christ, no vibrant life of the Spirit of God inside of them. They were very active. They had a reputation in the community. He says, your, your reputation's intact. Everybody looks from the outside, and they think you're an awesome church because you've got a lot of stuff going on. And because you got a lot of stuff going on, you got a great reputation, but the reputation with the Lord Jesus Christ was terrible. You have a reputation of being alive, but really, I see what's on the inside. I see that you're dead. I, uh, we've talked about several churches along the way. We talked about Thyatira. And Thyatira was the church of Jezebel. It was the church of false teaching. And we know that's an issue today. There's a lot of false teaching that is out there. And it was a church of toleration. It says you tolerate Jezebel. You allow her to remain in your midst. And so toleration was the key word there. And last week we looked at the church of Pergamon. And Pergamon was, uh, was a church that was immoral. They had a lot of compromise going on. And uh, immorality was the key word there. And certainly that's a problem in our world in which we live today. But I I think for us, listen to me here, I think the more real struggle could be the, what Sardis was facing right here, having a reputation to be alive and maybe on the inside we're dried up and dead because there's something about wealth and affluence and success and prosperity. If we are not careful, it can lull us to sleep. And I will tell you, we are very prosperous in America today and we have need of nothing and we have everything we need in this life. And sometimes if we are not careful, we will inadvertently begin to leave Jesus Christ out of the center of our lives. And when he comes and he looks 
He says, is he really there? Are you really serving him? Are you serving me out of religion or are you serving me out of relationship? Do you have a religion that says I'm gonna do this and this and this or do you really have a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ? Is it alive inside of you? Is it vibrant? Is it, is it meaningful? Uh, I think the indifference would be the key word here and it may be the greatest problem of all. We break bread together, we take communion. We do it about once a month at Faith Assembly of God and by the way, next Sunday we're gonna gather around the table of the Lord and we'll be having communion again. It's always a very special, sweet, meaningful time as we do that but are, are we really feeding upon the Lord Jesus Christ in those moments or is it just something we're going through, another act in the service or another act I'm supposed to do because I'm a Christian. We come in and we sing songs and we sing a lot of songs and some of them we, we know by memory and we've got all the words down in our minds but do we really think about what we sing and do we really worship the Lord as we sing or are we just kind of folding our arms and going through the motions or clapping our hands at the right place and do we really take time and worship our Lord? Or are we just singing? We read the Bible and uh, I would encourage all of you to read the Bible every single day. And, and, and my goal is to, I, I, we try, I treated the Bible through every single year. And so we read through the Bible again and again and again. But if we're not careful, it becomes a box that I check off on my things to do list. And I read the Bible and it just becomes words. And, and it's not the living word of God speaking to my heart and life. And instead of, I just read it to check my box or do I read it to say, God, what do you want to say to me? What are you sharing with me? What do I need to learn from your word today. It's possible to read the word and not really focus in on the Lord. We give to the Lord's work and we took our tithes and our offerings and so do we give out a duty because it's something I have to do or my church expects or whatever the case may be or I do it because I love Jesus and I just want to give back to the work with God and I want to partner with him and so I give out of a heart of love. You see, it is possible to do all the same spiritual religious things still not have that life. We pray, but our prayers, big sounding words that we weave together and so it makes it into a prayer and it sounds like a prayer and we sound very spiritual in our prayers or are we conscious that this is my time to commune with my creator and my maker, the one who gave his life for me and is it some, some relationship that I have with Jesus or, or am I just putting a bunch of words together to get my prayer time in. You see, it's possible to do the same thing. He, he said that you're doing all the deeds, you have all the activities, but he says your activities are not pleasing to God. And there's a difference. And so that was the situation in Sardis. And I think if we are not careful, it can happen to us so easily that we slide into this trap of doing the same old, same old, going through the same motions, doing the same things we've always done, but we're dead on the inside. There's no life on the inside. We're dry, we're parched, and, and we feel alienated from God. Are we really alive? Are we more like that church at Sardis? Now, there's five commands that he gives in this text, and I want to give them to you. And, and so I want to give you five keys to resurrecting a dead church. And so how do we resurrect our lives? How do we get to where we need to be spiritually? And the first is simply this. He says in verse 2, wake up. That woke a few of you up right now. Some of you were nodding off already. I caught you early. It's always good as a pastor. You can talk quietly, and then when you see enough people sleeping, you just shout something real loud, and they all jerk. Uh, maybe this depiction would describe a few of you. Take a look. 
never seen anybody come out of their seat yet, so that's, uh, that's a good thing. Uh, it's interesting, when he says to the church of Sardis, wake up, there, Sardis was a city that was located about 1,500 feet high in the air on a plateau, and that city was a military fortress or garrison, and they thought, no one can ever take this city over because of our elevation. It would be too hard to conquer this city, but in history, Sardis was taken over twice by enemy armies because they fell asleep centuries fell asleep. They no longer were guarding the gate. They no longer were looking over the city. The whole city was asleep. And as a result, the enemy came in and was able to capture or take over that city. And so the Lord says, wake up, wake up. You first of all, if we are going to uh, resurrect a dead church, we've got to be awake to the situation we are really in. We gotta understand, listen, I'm cold and I'm dry and I need a revival in my own heart and my own life unless we wake up to the fact and the reality of where we are, we'll always slumber and sleep and draw further and further away from the Lord Jesus Christ. They needed to be awakened to the purposes of God. Listen, God has saved us for a reason and that's to go and make disciples of all nations. Are we open to God's purposes or are we just going through religious motions because that's what I'm supposed to do? Are we indifferent to the things of God? They had all kinds of activity, but not the works God was looking for. They were, they were falling short in their disciple-making responsibility as a church. And he says, you are asleep, you are dead, and so we need to wake up to what's going on in our spiritual life. I think there's one man who typifies this uh, more than anybody in the Word of God. It's a man by the name of Samson. And Samson's in the Old Testament, and he's a deliverer in the book of Judges. And every time Israel would get away from God, he would send 
conquering armies to come and rule over them, and ultimately they would cry out to God for help when they're being oppressed, and so it happened like that. The Philistines are now ruling over the nation of Israel, and they're crying out to God, and God raises up a judge by the name of Samson. Samson is a poster child. He is a, uh, the darling child of Israel. He's handsome, strong, has all the attributes on the outside, and uh, many times he would arise and he would throw off the armies of the Philistines. He would bring liberty and freedom to the nation of Israel, except something began to happen. He took his strength and his relationship to God for granted. And he thought, I'll just keep doing the same old motion, but you know what, if I want this girl on the side or I want this happening here, and so he hooks up with a lady by the name of Delilah, and they get together, and she is on a mission to find out the source of his strength. Now let me tell you something, the source of his strength was not his hair. The source of his strength was his relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. The hair was only symbolic of his vow to follow and serve the Lord. And so, so th there's this going on there, this play happening, and, and the Bible says that he, when she finds out the source of his strength, she cuts his hair, and, and, and he falls asleep on her lap, and the Philistines come in, and then you find, I believe, one of the most saddest verses in the Word of God. Listen to it. It is in Judges 16, 20. And he awoke from his sleep and thought, I will go out as before and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. Doing the same old, same old that he's always done, but he was unaware that through his compromise, through his life, that the Spirit of God had been taken off of his life. Said commentary. And I think if, if we're going to resurrect a dead church, we've got to wake up to the reality I am not where I should be with the Lord Jesus Christ. There's something missing in my life and my love for Him. We talked about Ephesus losing their first love. And I think you have a very similar concept right here. And I'm sure when Samson woke up, he flexed real strong like he'd always done before. He posed a couple of times before those Philistines. Uh, but before you know it, they were on top of him. They subdued him. They poked out his eyes. He could no longer see again. And they bound him with chains and took him away. And you will find Samson in the next page grinding at the mill, just doing the same old, same old as a slave to the Philistines. And we can grind at the mill over and over and over again, but realize that we are blind and we're lost and the Spirit of God has left us. The church at Sardis, I believe, was once alive and powerful, but now it's dead. They didn't even realize their spiritual condition. And so Jesus Christ says through the Holy Spirit, wake up, wake up. We keep grinding at the mill in our chains and we need to wake up. If you, uh, science would tell you that if you're uh, up in the north, and we're not there, thankfully. Some of you might want to be there right now, as hot as it gets. But before a person freezes to death, some things begin to happen physiologically in their body. They, they first will have a sensation of feeling very warm. So it's amazing their body can be freezing to death, but they get this warm feeling and then they want to fall asleep and so they get very sleepy and if they're not careful they will lie down in the snow they'll feel this warm sensation they'll fall asleep and they will literally die and freeze to death and so what happens is if you're in the arctic areas or the cold north somewhere what you want to do is you wake that person up and say get up walk around come on let's move around let's exercise let's get some blood flowing again because if you don't do that you will die and so the letter the word from the lord jesus christ is if you don't wake up 
up and strengthen what remains, you will die. And so he goes to the next point, and it's simply this, strengthen what remains. At least there was a tiny spark of life left, and so he says there's something deep on the core, on the inside, and you need to strengthen your spiritual life. We're showing the imagery on our Rise Above series about those trees that tower above, and go real high in the air that are rising above everything else, but they go that way because they have a great root system. And if your roots don't go deep into the Lord Jesus Christ, into that relationship with him, your tree will only grow so high and so tall. You gotta get your roots down in the Lord. And so we gotta ask ourselves the question, as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ, is he number one in my life? Is he preeminent? Is he above everything else in my heart and life that I do? Can I say, like the Apostle Paul, for me to live is Christ? A couple of quick tests I wanna give you that, might help you to decide this answer. First is 1 Corinthians 10, 31. Whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. Can we say that in my life, whatever I'm doing, I'm doing it to bring glory to the Lord Jesus Christ? Or are we doing acts to bring glory to ourselves so that we might be seen of men, so that we have the reputation of being alive, so that we look good among everybody else, but are we really glorifying him in what we do? Another great verse is Ephesians 5.20. Always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Can we say I'm really thanking God for everything that happens in my life, both the good and the bad? Is he first? Am I honoring him? Am I thanking him? Am I worshiping him? Is he number one in my life? And then the third is Colossians 3.17. And whatever you do, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Are we doing all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ? I, I want to challenge you here this morning. There's a concept some, that we may have in the back of our minds that I would call bare minimum Christianity. And by that, it, it, I simply would say, you know, if I prayed a prayer at one time, and now I live my own life and do my own thing and, and do exactly what I want to do. But God has called us in our lives to make a difference with our lives. We're not saved just to simply say, now I can get to heaven, but we are saved to lead others to the Lord Jesus Christ. We're saved to be a witness and a testimony. We are saved to let the light of the Lord Jesus Christ shine through our lives. And I, I'm wondering if, if we have kind of bought into this mentality, if I just pray a little prayer somewhere along the line, then it doesn't matter what I do with the rest of my life. But there's always this pull and admonition of the Lord to keep drawing close to him, to know him more and more and more like the Apostle Paul says, and to develop our relationship with the Lord and, and not just a once a year thing or event, but it's my life. Because Christ gave his life for me, he says, I give my life back to him. Therefore, in view of God's mercies, present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. So you say, God, I just give you my all. What do you want to do with me? Where do you want to take me? What do you want me to do for you? What, what are you calling me? What are you asking me? And we have this relationship that is vital and ongoing and alive and fresh. And so we go beyond bare minimum. We Go to work, and instead of just going to work every day and punching a time clock and leaving, I begin to think, you know what, I need to pray for those guys around me because they don't know Jesus. And God's placed me here for a reason. And then we look for those opportunities to share 
what Christ did for us and share the hope of Jesus Christ to those who are so lost and without him. And, and, and with the reality is, if we don't tell them, no one else will. And so God has us there for a time and a purpose and a reason. And God's placed you at Faith Assembly of God in this church to say, where can I get involved? Where can I get plugged in? Where, how can I find my ministry and my place? And so maybe it's opening your house to a small group. Maybe it's working with youth or working with children or, or working in some area of ministry. But, but that's why we have the body of Christ so we have an outlet to use our time and our talents and our resources for the glory of God. And so we say, God, what, what do you how can I deepen my relationship with you and what are you asking me to do with that which you have blessed me with? So when we pray, we connect with him and when we worship, it's not just going through motions. We are genuinely worshiping and giving thanks to our Lord and Savior who gave everything for us and, and when I give, I give out of a heart of love for him. It's about a relationship, not a religious experience. The third thing he says is remember, verse three, Remember what you've received and what you've heard. And so he's trying to wake up this church at Sardis and he says, remember what it was like when you were on fire and, and, and we had this relationship together and we talked together and we shared together. Remember what that was like. You remember when you were first saved? Man, you were so full of joy and you wanted to tell everybody you see. Man, I, let me tell you what God did for me. Let me tell you what happened last week. Let me tell you, and we were just so excited about this new walk with Jesus Christ, but, but then that sleepiness comes in and that complacency comes in and, and uh, it grows cold along the way. And so he says, remember the joy that was there. Remember the joy. Remember what it was like when the spirit of life was alive inside of you. And then it says, number four, he says, it says in the New International Version, obey it, but it's, I think a better translation, the King James says, hold fast. Hold fast. Don't let go. Hold fast to sound doctrine. Hold fast to the teachings. Hold fast to me. Cling to me. Hold to the truth. Hold to Jesus Christ. Hold fast. And then the last thing he says is repent. Repent. And that, that word, idea repent, and by the way, this word repent is in every one of these letters, five of the churches at least, where they had gotten away from God. He says, repent. Aren't you glad God loves you so much? He always calls you back to himself. And we, 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 we get sidetracked and we wander away from the Lord and we, we lose touch with him, but he's calling, he's waiting, he's knocking. He wants to come back. He wants that relationship back with you again. And he says, repent. And so once we're going the wrong direction and we're slipping away from Christ, he says, first of all, wake up. But when we awake him, we need to turn and repent and come back to the Lord Jesus Christ. And he's there and he gives us second chances and he loves us incredibly. But he gives a warning too. He says, if you don't wake up, I'll come like a thief. Now this is not talking about that thief in the night. I'm not talking about the rapture of the church when I describe this event, but he's just using the analogy of a thief who comes in to take that which is valuable. Now if a thief broke into my house, there's, there's a lot of junk he would not want. And he, we'd say, take it, you know, here, get it, get it out of here. And so he, the thief comes, and what's he do? He looks for that which is most valuable. He wants to find the money. He wants to find the jewels. He wants to find the precious things that he can uh, hawk along the way, sell along the way. And so he looks always for that which is most valuable. So what is valuable that the thief will take away from us? 
I, I believe it's a little bit like Samson. If we keep neglecting the Lord and neglect our relationship with him and we, we do our own thing and we turn away from him, either through compromise or anything else that comes our way, we neglect him, we neglect him, we neglect him. Eventually, he, he just takes his spirit away from us. And that's a dangerous thing, a dangerous place to be in indeed. God will not accept an imitation. He's not looking for a religion. He is looking for a relationship. And if our Christianity is not in demonstration of the spirit and of power, I believe his spirit can be removed. The danger is we substitute religion, we substitute activity for relationship with our Lord. And we cannot demonstrate to Christianity through our own strength. It's not something we can do in and of ourselves. I need that active, ongoing, living presence of Jesus Christ in my life. I need that connection with him. Sometimes we feel like the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 7 who says the good things that I want to do, I can't do. And the things I don't want to do, I find myself doing. And he comes to the end of himself and he says, Oh, wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from this law of sin and death? And he says, thanks be to God through the Lord Jesus Christ. We sang it earlier. Jesus Christ is the only hope. It is him who live, him, we live and move and have our being. It is only through Jesus Christ alone. He wrote the Galatians. He said, oh, foolish Galatians, you, you started in the spirit, but now you're ending up and reverting to the flesh. And so, so we've got to live and operate and move and have our being through Jesus Christ. It's in him I center down. It's in him I know. It's out of that relationship I live my life. It's out of that connectivity with Jesus Christ that I live and, and serve and, and do whatever I do. It's, it's not in my own strength. Because it's of myself it becomes religion and not relationship. He says there were those in Sardis though. Look at verse number four. He says, yet you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their clothes. Now listen to me. When we, when we begin to lose that connection with Jesus Christ, defilement follows in our actions and it becomes very easy to compromise what we know to do is right. They've not soiled their clothes. They will walk with me dressed in white, for they are worthy. Now listen to me. Those in Sardis were not worthy of themselves. They, we are only worthy through the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. But aren't you glad when you surrender your life to him and say, Jesus, I need you. Jesus, come in. Jesus, forgive me and cleanse me. His blood makes us worthy. So today, I am robed in white, which is the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus because of what Christ has done for me on the cross, not what I've done done for myself you can't save yourself only Jesus Christ can do that only he can take away your sins only he can draw you to himself it is through Jesus Christ that we are made worthy at all in the midst of all the spiritual deadness of Sardis and many who were a part of the church in the midst of their life and service, in the midst of their meaningless prayers, there was a group of people who were seeking after God, who loved the Lord, who were following him, who were in a dynamic relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. God will always have his remnants. And that's exactly what you see at Sardis. The bride of Christ in Revelation 19 and verse 8 is described as those in fine linen, bright and clean. He said you were given that to wear. The fine linen stands for the righteous acts of the saints. Soil garments, defiled garments, speak of immoral activity or, or, or activity that's not pleasing unto God. 
righteous acts is the white garments. In other scripture, we learn that the robes of righteousness are given to everybody who is a born again child of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that is awesome. Now there's a promise here. Every one of these churches ends with to him who overcomes. I want you to notice this if you would. Look at verse number five. It says, he who overcomes will be like them. Will be like who? Will be like the church in Sardis. So he says, everybody who is like this remnant will be like them in that what? And that they also will be dressed in white. And I will never blot his name out from the book of life, but will acknowledge his name before my father and his angels. Now he says, those in Sardis are now walking in robes of white. Their garments are undefiled. But he says, everybody who will be like them, who will serve me out of a relationship, serve me because of the living spirit of God within them is alive and active. Everybody who is like that will also be robed in white. Now listen to me. I know that I have right now the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. So in a spiritual sense, I am robed in white. But he's, every one of these overcoming passages, he's talking about a future time in the temple of our God in the days ahead. I, I, I thought about something here that I want to share with you that I think just is, is, is exciting this morning. The Bible says that we are made in the image of God. So he makes Adam and Eve. He creates them and makes them in the image of God. Look at how Jesus Christ is described. Oh Lord, my God, you are very great. You are clothed with splendor and majesty. He wraps himself as light as a garment. Now, God is talking about himself. He wraps himself in light as a garment. Wrapped in white, wrapped in light as a garment. Now we learn in Genesis 1:26 that we're made in the image of God. So, so... What, what did Adam and Eve look like? Just, just want to share someone. Look at Genesis 2:25. It says, "They were naked and they were not ashamed. Their garments was the glory of Almighty God. They were robed in His glory. They were robed in those glorious picture of white or light. But something happens to man. Look at Genesis 3 and verse seven. It says there, then the eyes of both of them were open and they realized they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together for coverings for themselves. Now what changes? They're naked in both cases, but something happened between Genesis 2 and Genesis 3. Sin enters the world. And Adam and Eve both sin. And when they sin in the garden, the glory of God departs from them. And now they are there and they realized for the very first time their clothing, their natural clothing had not changed at all. But now they realize now they are naked and now they are shamed and they scramble to make fig leaves for themselves. And what happens? Man-made garments will not work. So God has to make a blood covering for them. He sacrifices an animal and he robes them with a bloody garment. Now listen to me. I believe there's coming a day when the Lord Jesus Christ returns, we'll have those garments of his Shekinah glory on us again, and we'll be robed in white, robed in light. We will have all the glorious presence of God manifest in our lives. Hallelujah. 
He goes on to say, their names will be written in the Lamb's book of life and I will present them for my God and I will not be ashamed of them and I'll call out their name and one day we'll hear our name called and he'll say, well done thou good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of the Lord. He will say, you belong to me. Matthew 10, 32. Whoever acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge him before my Father in heaven. Now listen to me. There was a remnant in Sardis, wonderful remnant who had not soiled their garments, who were walking in robes of white. He says, because they were worthy, not in themselves, but through the Lord Jesus Christ. And he says, one day there's going to be a group of overcomers, and I will too dress them in garments of white my glory and then I'll write their names down and I'll never ever be ashamed of them I want you to turn to Psalm 24 I want to read this it says who may ascend to the hill of the Lord who may stand on his holy place who has clean hands and a pure heart who does not lift up his soul to an idol or swear by what is false he will receive blessing from the Lord and vindication from God his Savior Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek your face, O God of Jacob. I want to challenge the church, seek the Lord. It's a relationship, it's a relationship. It's knowing Jesus Christ. It's living him him living his life through you. It's the presence of the Spirit of God inside of you. That's, That's what gives us our spiritual life and our spiritual vitality. You can have religion or you can have a relationship. And Jesus Christ always calls us to himself. But the good news is today, if you'll repent, if you'll turn to the Lord Jesus Christ, you can enter into that relationship with him. He will cover you in his blood. And one day, one day, he'll present you before his Father in heaven. Thanks for listening to the Faith Church Podcast. We are one church at five locations, streaming online every Sunday morning at live.faithishere.org. We hope that you're challenged and encouraged by today's message. And if you'd like to watch or listen to previous messages, or if you'd like to learn more about who we are as a church and how you can stay connected, head over to faithishere.org.